Hello and welcome to the Little Minds Big Ideas podcast with the Early Years Network. In this episode, we are going to be talking about what early years means to us. You, me? Me. Specifically, Specifically you. Specifically you. And me. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody else who wants to join in with the comments afterwards. <laughs> Not confusing at all. So we're just sort of going to discuss what early years is, what it means. To me. To us. To you. you me. Oh, to me. To you. To me. And if you turn off now, don't blame you, because this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, this is something you wanted to talk about, so I'm going to pass the reins over. Mainly this stemmed from um, comments and feedback from our last episode, which is was ironically more controversial than I thought when we were talking about observations. And it was interesting because it sort of went down a path, didn't it? Especially in some of the comment sections. I think it was the clip you decided to post yeah. it where I discussed two-year-olds and goodness me, we've all got opinions on two-year-olds. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because everyone's opinion of things within early years stems from your view of early years. Yeah. Which sounds really simplistic and quite obvious when you actually phrase it like that. But everybody has like their own viewpoint on things. And quite often your viewpoint of something is a result of your background and your history and your yeah. context. And early years is no different. And so I just thought it'd be interesting to dive into what we view early years as and what we view the importance of early years as and... And sort of delve into maybe a few other areas and why people see it the way they do and then what mine and Emily's take on it is. And to sort of to discuss that, the merits for it and our ideas and conception around it. I think it's just quite an interesting discussion to have. I agree. So. Can we, should we kick off then with the overall negative? Should we begin with like what I foresee as the negative? Because I think... The biggest detriment for early years in the early years industry comes from this negative view of it just being childcare and it just being a means to an end. Yeah, somewhere to leave your children while you go to work. Yeah, and I think this comes from, this doesn't come from people in the industry. This is an external viewpoint and I think this and we can easily this blame starts with the big people <laughs> at the top <laughs> yes and no I think it's more than just government I think there is a societal thing there I do think I don't I don't think you can just purely label government as being the big bad wolf and it's their fault I think it's a societal systemic thing do you know what that's really interesting you say that because growing up my family were convinced I'd be a teacher right and I was there. I then went down early years route. So the people around me and how I grew up, I grew up across the road from a childminder. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was so much more than just care. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I went to after school club, breakfast club, holiday club every single day as a child. And there was a preschool attached. It was a preschool as well. So I knew that they weren't just... Carry, like it was part of education. So I knew that growing up the whole time. And then I went into it and I've told all of my family and everything, that everything that goes into early years and the fact that it is more than care. Yes. It is education. So it's really interesting when you say like societal view because from where I was sat, from my society, it was never viewed as just care. And it, and it, Whereas someone who's never been involved in it might see it as just care. So for me, it does come from the top because it didn't come from anyone around me. But it, it's it's not. It is it is more than that because if you view 
I'm, and we're talking about English just society as a whole here because it's difficult to speak on other societies that I'm not part of or yeah. other cultures and backgrounds. But certainly from the English society, and again, people are going to be like, well, that's not true because I don't think like that. But to listen to this podcast is not going to have this view because anybody listening to an early years podcast is inherently going to understand the benefits of early years. Yeah. But I think if you took, if you took a random group of 100 people from across the United Kingdom of all ages and backgrounds and locations and said, when does education get serious? A lot of them would probably point to GCSEs, A-levels. That's the important bit of education. Yeah. Without really thinking about, well, hang on a second, what does a child do up to the age of 16 to get themselves prepared for that? Because I think there's a view of early years, a child is going to learn how to walk, talk, read and write. Like, of course they are, unless there is inherently uh, an underlying issue there. All children grasp that principle anyway. So early years, the end of the day, it's just frivolous play. And of course, they're all going to end up at this exact same marker here. The differentiation of abilities then is, happens in secondary school because that's where the real learning starts. Up until then, they're just playing and drawing and colouring. I think that is a fairly accurate assumption, what most people would carry of early years. Now, of course, yeah. there is people, a lot of people who would disagree with that, quite rightly, and I'm sure most of them listen to this podcast. But I think if we're starting from a how do you view early years, I think it's important to look at how probably the vast majority of society from an uninformed um, perspective, because that's what it is at the end of the day, views early years. And that's okay. That's not a problem if that's, if that's what the overall viewpoint is. And I think then it's up to us, and this is probably where then you can lay more blame at the government, in terms of educating people, actually saying, hang on a second, that's not entirely true. Early years yeah. has, it sets the foundation for future learning. It sets the foundation for future relationships, sets the foundation for self-regulation. And it lays so many foundational principles that a child will then build upon and need and utilise as they progress through education. Yeah. And you can do a lot of damage in those first five years because if, if, if things go wrong, if they're mistreat, abuse, blah, 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 if those things happen in the early years, from a brain, from a neurological, from a structural point of view, things can go very, very, very wrong. And then you see it snowball and you see them fall down a path. And then, then we can talk about societal issues in terms of um, economy and income and poor areas, poor backgrounds, violence, gangs, knife crime, which is an epidemic across the UK at the moment. Yeah. There's so many things then that this this volatile lifestyle can, can come from getting the early years wrong and the snowball, the negative snowballing effect that, that then, and then they hit primary school and secondary school and they're met with zero tolerance policies and punishments and it really goes awry. Um, and I think it stems from early years and I don't think there's enough credence given to that because then you talk about the government and this new funding and free childcare and it's, it's a mechanism, it's a policy just to get people back into work or get people to work. And it's a policy and a mechanism to cut the cost of living because at the moment we're facing inflation rates going through the roof, the cost yeah, of housing, yeah. blah, 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 everything going up and up and up. So what's an easy way of, of cutting that? What's a massive cost to young families? Well, childcare, right, okay, let's eliminate that cost without really considering the long-term implications of the earlier sector. I don't want to dive into that now because it's not the right podcast. We talked about that on a different episode. Go back a few weeks. You'll, you'll find Ben's round about, about all of that. But I think that's a good place to start. That It's not just, it's easy just to point the finger at government because they use the word childcare and they talk about free childcare and they tend to view it as a, a policy mechanism to reduce costs. And it's a means to an end. That's where you put your kids 
in order to get yourself back at work to get the economy churning again. But it's more than that. It's a societal thing. Do you think when people have children and they take their child to an early year setting, they then begin to realise how much mm. more mm. it is than just yeah. care? Because I think you probably, if you if you knew nothing about the sector and you went to visit a setting, you'd like to think you were met with a show round that explained a lot of things and then your child would start and you'd have a baseline done about their development and you'd think, oh God, okay, they do take this. And I think maybe that that's where your mindset maybe shifts is when your child is in that, in an early years environment. I'm sorry. I think as soon as you're in the world of early years and as soon as you have a child yourself and then you quickly get it. Right? Yeah. I think you very quickly understand what's happening and the development. The new, even if you don't understand, nor should you, the neurological aspects of it, the brain structure of it and all these things that are going on because... It, you say nor shouldn't you... Well, in some why, I guess. Yeah, yeah. why shouldn't parents know that? Why yeah. isn't there more information as part of a pregnancy into what is actually... But it's not well widely circulated across the earliest industry yet. No, it's not. Yeah, that's a different... That's a different... Like, Having foundational knowledge of how neurological development takes shape in the first five years and brain structures, that's not, that, that isn't even a given of the level three. No, true. At the level three, we're still mainly diving into... Um, studies and research committed in the early 20th century with Vygotsky and Ben. And they, it's all got valid arguments and reasons for it, but a lot of it's not necessarily scientifically evidenced. Dewey and people like that, it's practically evidenced, i.e. Observe, through observations and stuff, but the real meaty scientific, scientific, <laughs> scientific process, you know, talking 90s, early 2000s, in the last 10 years, you know, that's when a lot of development has happened look at the even simply mirror neurons our understanding of mirror neurons first yeah. discovered in the early 90s in Palmer and through studies of monkeys and then since then and it's not even scientifically accurate yet it's something like that because they haven't done enough evidence it takes ages and ages and ages I mean COVID the jabs around the vaccines around that the speed at which they pushed those vaccines through was colossal but people were still complaining it took a year or two to get to get the vaccines done. But that was colossal, the, the speed. And that was because it was already in, in production. Like, so they started, this has gone off on a weird tangent. I was going to say, but they, COVID they now. started um, developing vaccines for that specific, specific um, type strand of illness. And I think ages ago when SARS first reared its head in the early 2000s. So they just expedited that process. But it takes time. Right. Negative impact of childcare. We have gone off on a weird. We are good at this, <laughs> but this is probably one of our best tangents. So, the so negative I, view of it being care, just yeah. just a place to drop your child. They'll have a lovely few hours. You go to work, earn the money, come back, get them. It's, it, it's, it's it's two things there, isn't it? It's a systemic societal view of early years, and it's a mechanism for the government. And I think the two going hand in hand and really water down that educational educational aspect of early years. Yeah. Then we get to Ofsted. We do. The big O. The big O. And then Ofsted then have a role to regulate. So they from do. their point of view, from their viewpoint, I always describe Ofsted, and, and some people agree with this, some people don't, but Ofsted are there to make sure the shittest of the shit... Isn't that shit. Is actually quite good. Yes. 
Does that make sense? It so does. Ofsted are there to make sure that the bottom end of the early years industry, the bottom end of everything, they're regulating to make sure the floor, so you've got the ceiling and you've got the floor, the floor is as good as and high as a bar as it possibly can be. Because from Ofsted's point of view, they're regulating, they're safeguarding, protecting children to make sure there's not a nursery out there that's failing children. There's yeah. not a nursery out there that's putting children in danger. Now, you can have your opinion, Ofsted, whichever way, shape or form, and, and quite honestly, they have an impossible task. Ofsted are often viewed as referees in football. They'll always be the enemy. They'll always be the bad guy. But when if, if they ever did anything wrong or they did a good inspection or a good visit and people really go, you never hear about it. Saying that, I actually saw, I think it was three, three or four Facebook posts about really positive good. early years inspections. And do you know what? It was so lovely to read because it was all about how the inspector made everyone feel at ease, good. spoke to everybody, really considered how they were feeling. And, and I know this has probably got a lot to do with what happened last year with yeah, Ofsted yeah, yeah, yeah. and and things like that. But it was really nice to read that people had had a positive yep. experience because from my point of view, I've had both ends of the spectrum. So I've had positive, I've had negative, I've had indifferent. Like I don't, I've never been completely set on like, yeah, this is what I feel yeah. because this is every time I meet them, this is what I'm come up against. It varies. So it was actually really lovely to read some positive things about the inspections that people have been involved in because, like you said, regardless of your opinion on Ofsted or what they do or how they do it, they are there for that bottom line of yeah. making sure that when things are going wrong, it's picked up on and yeah. it's rectified straight away because at the end of the day, we all want children to be safe and we want them to have the best. So somebody is going to have to regulate that yeah. regardless. And that's what they're for. They're there to make sure that, and, and educationally, they'll get involved and they'll set, but again, they're setting the bar. It's up to us then to meet that and go beyond and above and, yeah. and, and, and do whatever we can do. But they're setting that, they're looking after the bottom line and they're making sure that bottom line, you know, Ofsted would be happy if every nursery in the United Kingdom was good because they, would, they yeah. know then that there's a, there's a bottom line of, of quality education in early years in this country and they'll probably pat each other on the back and say, all oh, right, we're doing a good job. Let's keep going, monitoring. Yeah. Let's keep making sure. And yes, there is many of things that you can moan about Ofsted for. Often, I think they get the flack of the government. I think the government's decisions, they're often the body that we throw shit at as a result of. Yeah, potentially. And I also think often they get the flack of misunderstanding and rumours. And then they get the flack of a few of their representatives, people who come out and do things or whatever else. But like any industry, you're going to get some bad employees. Like any industry, you're going to get some people who don't fully understand. Like you're always going to get that. So you're going to get I some think inspectors. It's hard on that though, as well. You say you're always going to get. You're always going to get. Yeah. But those people put. Yeah, yeah. They put people's livelihoods on the yeah, line as absolutely. well. I so that. I don't always agree that you can have bad eggs in that industry because you shouldn't. Everybody working for that organisation should be on the same page. And if you're inspecting an early years setting, you should be on the same page as the next yeah, person. But because it's not just safeguarding the children, it's safeguarding yeah. the staff as well in terms of these people are coming to work and genuinely feel like they're doing the best they can. So no, there shouldn't be somebody in there that doesn't yeah, have a clue yeah. about early years. So I understand that you are always going to get bad eggs. So you are going to get that. But I don't think that Ofsted can afford to have Badly. No, and it's what do they do with that information then once they've got it? And yeah. what's the procedure? I'm sure that's, that's what all they, on them. What they amended earlier this year, a lot of it is around the complaints procedure. A lot of it's about giving early is more of a voice in terms of complaints about inspections. So, like, they are listening to it. And whether they're just pandering to, to hearsay or whether they're actually putting in changes and they look to improve it, we'll only find out through time. I think when you look at it as well, we've had inspections where an inspector hasn't even spoken to parents. I know. Yeah, yeah. And I know do you think, and I think, hang on a minute, 
it literally says in the guidance that they'll gather information from parents. Now, they'll probably turn around and say, well, we don't always have time to do it. That's absolutely fine. But that's not our fault. That's on you. You need to arrange that time yeah. to do that. And she was out and the door by three o'clock. She was out the door by three o'clock. Yeah. But but then we had an inspection six months before and they were there till seven o'clock at night after the nursery closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I think people struggle. And I think that's where we the negative sides of early years is that actually... We're reading reports and some reports are fantastic. And I think people have such an amazing experience with Ofsted. And, and I love reading those things because that's what we want to see. Um, but we also have those people where they read their own report back and they're like, this doesn't, this isn't us. Like, this doesn't reflect us. Even though it's a good report, this isn't what they saw. But and I think that's where I struggle because actually... When people are looking for an early year setting, they look at that word and I know that's yeah. big at the moment and I know they're looking at should they change it and I know that would be really difficult and I don't know how they would do that. They'll but just replace it with something else though. It would just be, be a number fixed. Yeah. yeah, it'd be something different. But I think it's really difficult because if I was a parent looking at a perspective early year setting, the first thing you're going to do is Google that offset and report. And that's why I think it's crucial that we get it right. And I'm not saying we don't get it right now, but there's too many inconsistencies for me. And I think that's where the problem lies in a negative towards viewing early years. But that's the biggest thing is consistency. And when you're talking about regulating any industry, consistency is really hard, especially when you're and you've got a rule book and then you've got a real life organism living thing. Like if your environmental health... I'll send inspectors as... Living organisms. No, no, I'm talking about nursery settings. <laughs> oh, right, okay. And what's going on because you've right, got the yeah, rule yeah. book and then you've got this real moving thing that you've then got to go right against this rule book. What does it look like? When we talk about environmental health coming out to look at kitchens, it's quite clear cut if certain things are in order and if certain things are clean. And like, yes. it's very, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very obvious. Tick, duh, 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 duh. And again, I always come back to referees, but in football, referees have to right you've got the rule book but then you've got to interpret it and then look at a football game that's going at a million miles an hour and get it right really really difficult and offset is sort of the same you've got this rule book and it's massive like in terms of everything they've got to take into consideration and then you've got individual human beings and individual human beings are always going to tune into different things within that curriculum within that rule book they're going to look at it in different ways and and the system isn't perfect because, let's be honest, if you're going to do a proper report of an earlier setting, you need to be there Monday to Friday for That's the full day. Say, you, don't you need to get... be there. You need to be yeah. part of it. You need to, to really encapsulate it. Coming in for six, seven, eight hours ain't going to give that on one day. And I think that's, again, that's where lies the problem. But then it comes down to funding and it comes down to money. And of course it does. It comes down to recruitment in their part of the early years. Yeah. They've not got the inspectors to do it. And I fully, fully appreciate that. And I'm not saying that... That's it's all their fault because it's not. Because you'll probably have to times the Ofsted budget by ten in order to start doing these things, and then you're talking about money that we just don't have. But then you think, why? Why don't we have it? Because there's a million. Because there's that view. Other, that but no, but there's other, loads of other sectors that need money. There's the NHS. There's, there, there is, yeah. And, and you could, yeah, you can point to a few things like Rwanda and all these policies, and yeah, absolutely, you can dig at the government for those type of things. But end of the day, the money is the pot's not limitless. So you've got, and if somebody's in an industry saying, oh, I demand this money and they're quite right and then we're demanding them and we're quite right, and it's an Im in your impossible view, task. All this money we've put towards funding for under twos, could that have been spent better in our sector? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But you can look at, you can reevaluate everything. You can look at the money that we're spending in our, in our sector and you can go, right, is it actually helping those most vulnerable and most in need? Answer, probably not. 
Could we do more to focus it on those who most need it and most in need? Yes. Could we structure the funding in a different way to enable businesses to thrive whilst at the same time giving a certain amount of money to families who need it to support them to be able to access childcare? Yes. So in all honesty, is what we're doing actually the most simplistic and throwaway easy way of doing it? Yes. There's not enough thought gone into it. They're just lobbing money. And that's again where we look back at, at it. What it's and they're not thinking about society. Yeah. yeah. No one's analyzed and sat down and thought about what is going to happen to the earliest industry in one year, three years, five years, 10 years as a result of this policy. It's simply a case of we need to win an election next year or potentially this year. Free childcare for everyone. Sounds great, right? Tick. Do you know what I mean? But that's what it is. And that's what yeah. politics this country is. And, and, and we're going off on a weird tangent again. But I think from this point of view, from Austin's point of view, I always talk about their view of it is safeguarding and so regulators and regulate and, yeah, and ensure children. Like completely, and I think if we didn't have it, it would be carnage. We'd end up with schools like in Matilda. Yeah. And that's, um, so. I was trying to break down the levels because next up I wanted to talk about overprotection and sort of parents' viewpoint of it once they're in the world of early years. Quite a lot of the feedback that we got through from when we were talking about um, independence and challenge within early years is, this is ridiculous. Why are we teaching three-year-olds to become independent? They should just be getting cuddles and kisses and... Which they should get. Absolutely. And, and kisses, yeah. But it's like I said in a, in a TikTok video I did, it's, you've got, um, you've got relationship building and attunement and bonds and these relationships, these positive relationships we create with children, these attachments that are fundamental. They're the foundation of everything yeah, we do. I'm not, I, I would yeah. never disagree with that. And anything I say, that is always the obvious premise that I begin with. Yeah. But there's more to early years than that. And independence, to pick on independence, why should we be bothering with independence? They're just three-year-olds. Again, it's about brain structure. It's about this is the time when brains are most malleable. This is the moment in time when it's vital that we're creating these structures. If you wait till what? I don't know. I don't know what they were waiting for. Six, seven, eight years old until we crack on with independence. You're setting that child up to fail. Parents, you'd be going mad. But you are setting that child. I think it was a parent potentially. I think you're setting that 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 child up to fail because they're going to get eight years old and then they're in a rhythm and routine and structure and environment of you doing everything for them and them having no independence. And then it comes to other skills and tasks and how independence proliferates into other areas of curiosity, inquiry, all these social skills, like all these things. And then you could talk about risky play as another prime area where parents are really overprotective. Um, we have a forest school on one of our sites and when parents get shown around it, kids' natural inclination is climb trees. And the amount of times parents say, oh, no, it's dangerous. Come away from that. Come away. Stop doing that. Behave, you know, walk. You can tell him to do that, but give it a week once he's joined up and started and he will be up that tree. Yeah, don't worry. He'll be up there. So. But, you know, why are we shackling children? And it again, comes a bit down to independence and regulatory skills and, and emotions and and all these things that children have to encounter. And at this early years stage, early years experience is everything, you know, what they experience in life. And that when we talk about scaffolding, whether scaffolding from an educational or emotional standpoint or independence standpoint, I always draw it back to scaffolding because that is what we're doing. We're giving them experiences in life and we're supporting them along the way and through it. But we're letting them fail at times. We're letting them realise, ow, if I fall from this height, it does hurt. Not enough that if they fall from it, they're definitely going to break their ankle or their head or their arms or whatever. Like There is a remit here. We're not just going from wrap them up in cotton wool to let's let them play on the motorway. Like There is, there is a lot of space in between yes, for course. the children to explore. 
So wrapping them up in cotton wool from early years and overprotecting them, again, it, 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 you're just setting them up for failure and further down the road. Yeah, and I think it's like you say, what what is early years? What does early years mean? And that overprotection can be, it can mean that your child isn't, isn't going to be ready for that next stage. They're not going to be ready for reception in year one and year two because they've not been exposed to enough. And that's what is so important in a setting that you can help children to be exposed to. And it's something as simple as if a child never experiences failure until they're a hell of a lot older, how do they know how to deal with it? And by that point, maybe actually it's more catastrophic than, I'm not saying failure is in like, oh, your child's failed, but like just little things in life, you know, trying to, I don't know, throw a ball into a hoop or climb something and you've not quite succeed. Like little challenges in life are really, really important. And if we're wrapping children up in cotton wool and not allowing them to experience that, or even when we talk about developing self-regulation skills through co-regulation, a lot of people seem to think co-regulation is you're like an emotional bodyguard for that child and you won't let anything nasty happen to them and you're protecting them. Whereas in reality, co-regulation is about letting them experience emotional challenge, disagreement, conflict with other peers and stuff, and giving them ways and things and understanding of how to cope with that and emotional coaching, which I talk about in my class. But it's about all these things. So I think overprotection, and then it comes down to, again, how we view early years as professionals. Mm -hmm. It's about talking to parents. We sort of got onto that earlier. Yeah. Parent partnership isn't just about, it's not just us providing them with a service. It's also about us educating, I think, as well. Yeah, it definitely is. Because if no one else is educating in terms of government and stuff, how do parents learn these things? Do you know what I mean? If yeah, we weren't in the industry we're in now and do we do something completely different, we would be very naive to the oh, world definitely. of early years. Yeah, listen, children don't come with a rule book. I'd be good on it. When you get them, they don't come with a manual. They don't come with a step one. Can you imagine one. As part of their induction? It's just, have you got your child's manual? Have you got your child's manual, please? So we can just flick through that, please. Thank you. And <laughs> um, that they don't come with the basic 10 steps on how to raise a child. Like that doesn't happen. And they don't have washing instructions. No, they don't. 30 degrees, no tumble. No, <laughs> will shrink in tumble dry. Um, but they, they don't have that. And no. if nobody's telling new parents or new people into an early years industry, then. Where do they learn? No, yeah. Other than the earliersnetwork.co.uk, of course. Where there is hours of learning opportunities for but, you and your parents. But, it, but that is part of our, that at some point will be more and more of what we do as well. We try and educate parents and provide videos for parents yes, and content yeah. because where do you learn as a, as, a, as, a, as a new parent? A lot of your parenting skills comes from your experience as a child, either positive or negative. You'll either You'll either parent like your parents or you'll do the opposite of your parents. Or, But yeah. do you know what I mean? That Your experiences. In, and then often what you would decide to be as a parent before being a parent will drastically probably changed as soon as you become a parent. Oh, yeah. Although there is lots of rumours in the industry where you people who have children who work in early years are the worst parents because we go against everything we tell parents to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because even though we know it's the right thing to do, we also choose... <laughs> Sometimes the easy easier life. option, yeah. yeah. Um, even though we know all those different overprotection things and we know it, but I don't, that's not true for everybody, it's just an urban myth. But I think it's important to realise that even people in the industry also sometimes need education. On, people in the industry get it wrong all the time with kids yeah. on a day to day basis. Nothing horrific, but you, you do things all the time in work and think, oh, I should have done that. Yeah. But, you know, it's not, it's not awful. We're human beings. I think that's the point. But I think it goes back to how, 
society views it and the interaction with parents and the educational element of it, of, yeah. of, the, of, of working in early years. And then the next one I wanted to talk about was culture and societal impact because we've had a lot of comments as well from people from different countries. And it's really interesting to yeah. see how your experiences and your the culture that you live in and your context then has a massive view on how you view early years childhood development because we can talk about the UK um, and we are very work nine to five, work, 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 work. That is what the UK is. So inevitably, early years becomes childcare because it's a means for us to be able to go and go to work physically and not yeah. feel guilty. And that's a place for us to put our children, our offspring. Can't just leave them in a cave like we did once upon a time no. and go off and kill where we need to kill. We have to put our kids into daycare. That, yeah. That's where it's viewed a lot in, in, in the United Kingdom. And then there's also the idea of it all being work, work, works. So it's all about getting grades and qualifications and it's all about schooling. So inevitably, we're going to get on with this in, onto this in a minute, but early years becomes a branch of what schools and education have become where it's obsessed with exams and results. Yes, tracking children to an inch of their lives. But it's true elsewhere. If you look at New Zealand, it's a massive melting pot for different ethnicities and different cultures and different backgrounds. It's deep rooted in, 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 in Maori culture and they're very hot in New Zealand, um, so I understand, but protecting their natural, um, I say natural, so indigenous people and their yes. indigenous culture. It's like, it's a huge thing for them. So when you read up on early years education, acceptance and, and, and tolerance and inclusion is, is massive for what they do. Equally, you look at um, Scandinavia. Now, I'm not entirely sure what the background reason for it is, but they're obsessed with outdoor play and they're very much into the using yeah. equipment and taking risks that we would never allow children to do. In fact, it's some of the stuff they do in Scandinavia is probably illegal in England in terms of letting kids run around and like, not using knives in a dangerous way, but do you know what I mean? The equipment of, of that nature, yeah. that sort, or climbing things or being outside all the time. And it's it's just not how we would look at no. early years and think about it. And this could be the same for other areas of the world, I'm sure. And I can't remember where it is. Um, I remember reading about it years and years ago. There is, there's a country where when children are, and I don't know if this is early years or school, if they're finished for the day and they've had enough, they will just walk themselves home because they know that they have they've exhausted themselves and they are tapped out of that day. They're like, no, I'm going home. But to put that on a child so young, that means that they take ownership of what they're doing. So, and I, believe, I, might, I might be wrong, but I also believe in uh, Japan, children really young, like primary school age, will take themselves to school. They'll go leave the house, get on the subway, metro, whatever they use in urban Japan, and take themselves to school. They'll have that level of independence. Yeah. Could you imagine seeing like a seven-year-old walking to school in United Kingdom? Like somebody would pull them in, bring social services. Do you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. it's just interesting, isn't it? How different and you right or wrong, you can say whatever you want. But as long as the child's not been hurt or abused yeah, or anything, yeah. societies will choose how and they monitor themselves and what's acceptable and the standards of it. So it's interesting that from a societal impact, what that can have on our view our scope of, of early years It's always as well. interesting to read what's going on in other countries. So if we do have any listeners from around yeah, the world, yeah, yeah. not in United Kingdom, put them in the comments, let us know, drop us a message, because it's always really interesting to hear how early years is viewed around the world as well. Well, even so, I think we had a comment on the observation with someone from, I want to say the Netherlands. Okay. Was talking about how they do an observation once every three months and then a big assessment every six months, I believe, I think that's what she said. Again, really interesting to see how that's how they view it. And then it, somebody yeah. else ages ago was 
uh, when the video first came up, commented from a different country, I can't remember where. Then she said something that went against a lot of what we do. And it's just it's interesting to, to see. There's never a right or wrong. Sometimes we can get so entrenched in our ways and our beliefs yeah. that it's very right or wrong and that's that's what I'm going to believe in and you're wrong rather than going, oh, that's interesting. That, yeah. All right, okay. Maybe, Sherry. Maybe, maybe we are doing it wrong. <laughs> you yeah. know? That's, that's, that, and it, as long as people have got their reasoning for it and support it and evidence and you think, okay, yeah, it'd be interesting to have a debate. Children are thriving and happy and healthy then. There was a document that came out, I think from the government I think it was government funded but they looked at different earlier settings across the globe and what they do and uh, how it's different and it was just really interesting to read and at the end of the day the I think the premise was all the same push more learning through play push more that early years education is important we've got a crisis in recruitment it tended to be the same thing in all the different countries well at least we're all on the same page <laughs> on that um and then from that early overschoolifying early years, I think is a massive one that has an impact on how we view early years because I think more and more and more early years is being seen as an extension for for schools. I'm surprised they haven't brought in now a, a needed post preschool exam. Oh, <laughs> I'm surprised preschoolers have to sit down and do an exam yet. Maybe that's to come. But can we all write against that? <laughs> More, more and more, that feels like where we're going now. It's a schoolifying of, of having to learn from tick lists. And, and I think the people in the industry are giving it the good fight. I was going to say, from where I'm sat inside the bubble, it doesn't no. feel like that. I feel like we are all on the same page of, no, we are not a school. We are called preschool, but we're not a school. We do believe that learning through play is the best way for children to develop at this age. Mm. We understand what we need to do for from the inside point of view. We're moving forward and we're fighting for that voice to say, no, we are not school. This is how our children learn best. But then from the outside, it is becoming more, no, this is what we should. Uh, it would actually be nice to go the opposite way. It would actually be nice for primary schools to take more note and more leaf from early yeah. years. And alter the way that they deliver education because primary schools being more of a mimic of secondary schools, it seems the wrong way around. It should be more of a mimic of early years and it should be more of a mimic of learning for experience, not learning from having to do task-based education, sitting down at tables and being forced to write out sums and your names and, and doing this form of education. There's ways of learning simple basic arithmetic that are fun, engaging, and will actually engage children to learn through experience and taking part and being active learners as opposed to being almost secondary participants to it through just telling them information and expecting them to retain it like robots. And we have this thing about making early well, primary school education into like mini robots just to hold yeah. information. I mean, we're the parent that was thinking about holding their child back, not keeping them in the setting, but not sending them to school straight away because she didn't believe in in the system no. and there was a lot of oh she can't do that she can't. and I was at a point where I thought I might I, I do get it like I do get if you don't want your child to sit down and like you said just be spoon fed this information to retain from a socializing point of view and can be, oh, that, that's different but in terms of learning life skills I don't think that's taught well enough in moving on into school education no like why why are we spoof? And yes, there are jobs that you need degrees in, and I'm not saying that, but from a young age, why is it that reception year one, year two, why are we automatically, oh, after reception, that's it, they sit at the table? Yeah, yeah. What, like, why do we have to learn in that way? Why do we have to yeah. learn in that way? And I, and I was trying to say, like, I get it from both sides because, yes, you want your child to be 
in the school system and socialising and etc. But I also understand why you wouldn't want your child to just be sat at a desk, yeah, being fed information, yeah, and it, and it's nothing against teachers and no, schooling. No. It's just that's the way that education in the UK is. That's the curriculum that is followed. But and like I said, it'd be nice if we went the other way and went to go towards yeah. more early as principals and more simple, not simple, but more in tune with science in terms of how children best learn, how we can best get the most out of them. Forcing a child to go everything against its natural inclination of wanting to be curious and explore things and to want to move their bodies and fidget and do things. And instead we force them to sit still, be quiet and listen. Not on the whole, I'm sure there's lots of examples of that not being true. And I'm sure there's some really good teachers out there in primary schools that engage their children in different ways, but you're still shackled by a syllabus. Yeah. You're still shackled by the curriculum that you have to follow. And I think it's a case of, right, how can we get the most out of them? Instead of focusing on zero policy and just labeling these children bad behavior and naughty, it's again, as like we talked about, what's the why behind their behavior? What's the why behind what's driving them? Yeah. And you'll actually, most of the time, probably find out it's what we're forcing children to do. It's systemically our fault, forcing them to do things and learn and behave in a certain way that we're just obsessed with, as opposed to embracing, actually, this child really struggles to sit still for this length of time. So how can we educate them in a way that they're going to be comfortable and engage with it and just get it and get the most out of them so that actually yeah. they can grow up to be really healthy and happy and enjoy learning as opposed to just driving them into the ground and making them submit. Yeah, no, I agree. But I do think that from inside the industry where we've all developed our knowledge on regulation, whether that's co-regulation into self-regulation or it's learning through play or and things like that, I do think from the inside we are learning more and developing from our point of view. So early years doesn't feel like it's going towards a schooliness. But it depends what the future of early years has. I mean, it depends what's going to be the impact of um, funding what it does for for nurseries and, and what you know might see more and more private settings as a result of the funding if the funding rate doesn't grow and more people financially can't stay afloat maybe we end up with a scenario where more and more private enterprises close and more and more like labor suggested recently um opening up more and more preschools within schools settings and then there are more in-house so naturally it starts to fold but more into do we get educators who will stand up and say, that's fine, we can be within the school grounds, but this is what we're doing? Does anybody have the... Does but anybody we get to a point where we've closed down all these settings with fantastic educators who understand learning through play and do this and say, right, well, you can go and work in this school setting. Yeah, fantastic, I will, but we're doing it the way we know early you should run. But do, so where do we stand with that? Can we stand up and say, no, this is what we do? But only time will tell, won't it? <laughs> do people still have the energy for the good fight or at that point? Do or just, do we lose fantastic educators well, the, and then the children at the end of the day are the ones that lose out? The other thing we could see is it could, if, if the funding does go to pot and, and then their plan in 10 years time does take us down a negative spiral will we see what's happened with schooling already now where you have the private and the public sector and Absolutely. and you get to the point where you've got the private nurseries that are in affluent areas that people can afford for it to be better they don't require the funding then the nurseries because they charge parents they turn the funding away like it's, it's not to this extreme degree but it's happening some nurseries have already said no to the funding that was introduced in April so what happens if we get to the point then where we get private settings and then inevitably because they're charging parents rather than relying on funding, they can pay staff more so they yeah. gobble up all the good qualified staff and then you're left with these funded public 
nursery settings in, again, the most deprived areas where from now we're saying, no, they need the money the most. They need the more support. Let's focus on giving it to those areas yeah. where, in fact, it has the complete opposite effect and they struggle even more to get older staff. The quality of it goes down the pan because they haven't got the funding. Like, do you see how it also there's yeah, a really negative yeah. scope? And then we're back to square one, aren't we? But actually, no, we're not. We're, we're, we've come further backwards. We're down the road now. We've, yeah, we've left this station. Anyway, that was that was a depressing tangent to go down. But I think then in terms of how do you see, how do we see early years? What's your viewpoint of the way we talk about early years? Early years is all I've ever known. So when I think about early years, I think, right, okay, so what is it? Like, what do, what is it that I've learned over the however many years now? And it's confident children. That's what I want from early years settings. I want confident children. And socialisation, whatever that looks like for the child. People aren't naturally, not everyone, sorry, is naturally sociable. No. So whatever socialisation looks like for the individual. Um, and then skills for life. I think early years should provide children with skills for life. And like we said earlier, those independent skills, communication skills, confidence skills, whatever that looks like. I think like real life skills Um Children should leave early years with those things. And that, to me, is when I view early years, is that I want confident, sociable children who are set up for life. Yeah, and they've had, I think... And they've had fun whilst they've been doing it. <laughs> someone said to me actually in the comments the other day, not everything has to be meaningful. I was actually in the gym when I read it, and I was thinking, well, something, something's not meaningful. Why have you done it? What's the point? And I think they were going to come back to me. I didn't actually respond yet, but I think they were going to come back to me. Well, some things are just fun. Well, then it's meaningful, isn't it? The meaning behind it is to have fun. Yeah. I think when I say it has to be meaningful, it it means you have to have a purpose behind your actions. If you're just sat there, I'm, very, I'm sure not many settings do this now nowadays, but if you're just sat there, you say, oh, go choose which box of toys you want to play with. For me, that's not meaningful because the child's then got option A, B, or C that he can play with. And he's probably played with A, B, and C for the past three years. <laughs> He's very bored of A, B, and C. But do you know what I mean? I think yeah. I think that's what's meaningful. Meaningful for me is just a way of saying what you're thinking behind it. Are you actually putting thought and effort and strategy behind it? Yeah. And I think early years is that's what it's all about. It's about experience, yeah. giving children experience. And through experience, and experience in an early years way is often play. It's through these experiences, these playing experiences that we grow independence. That we grow the foundation, sorry, of what we need in, in life, you need to be an independent human being. You need to be a sociable, to a degree, human being. Like There's different levels of that sociableness. Yeah. You have to be inquisitive and curious. and Because it always comes back down to those, you know, they always release those traits. What does What do industries, what do employers look for in people? And it's never, <laughs> some industries you need maths to do certain things, like obviously. Tech skills. <laughs> but aside from educational qualifications it's always being able to work well in teams it's always to be able to communicate effectively communication is a massive one to be able to communicate effectively and how do we best learn how to communicate and be and, and, and those sorts of things yeah. it's through social interaction it's through experience it's through being part of something so for me it's we, we can easily get hung up on children have to you can go one or two ways can't you? you can have to go one degree of it or oh, it's just about protecting children and it's just about loving them and putting them up in a in, in little bubble and protecting them and they're so cute and innocent. Or you can go to the other degree and go, well, they're three years old. They can probably just about hold a pencil, so it's time to start writing your name. 
and it's time to start doing this and this and this. And if you're capable and of it, dissertation yeah. subject for preschool. <laughs> and if you're capable of it, we can do do algebra. Fancy doing a bit of algebra, <laughs> and it, it, that's that degree. So it's probably somewhere somewhere nicely in the middle where we build these positive relationships, and then we give them experience which exposes them to mathematical concepts, to language, to scientific concepts, STEM, um, technology, engineering, mathematics, like all those things, and and we start to engage with those principles. Yeah, that's what early years is for me. I completely agree, and I think it's yeah. It's finding that balance of when they leave us, what do we want? And that's where we looked back into our curriculum episode where we talked about what is it you want from them when you leave. But for me, like I said, early years is all I've ever known. So I, I think about how much it's changed over the last few years as well. And how, like I said, I feel like from the, from the inside looking out, we are developing the way we view early years and, I think we as an industry are starting to take ourselves more seriously as well. And we're starting to say, no, hang on a minute. We're not just a drop-off place for children. Not we crash. No, we're not a crash. We are, and I have worked in a crash and I had a great time. <laughs> but that was while parents went to the gym and they stayed yeah. with us and we looked after them. We had fun, but they learned through play as well. It wasn't just... Never stop learning. You never, no. But I think we as an industry are starting to stand up and have a bit more of a voice and say no... We are so much more than that. And this is all the things that we do. And this is all the things that children learn when they're with us. And regardless of your nursery's curriculum or your earlier settings curriculum, we are doing so much for children every single day. And it is about time we had a bit more of a voice to say, we aren't just the little guys in the corner that start it off. We mean something and that children are going to get the foundations of life from these first five years and the people that are educating them through those first five years are incredibly important. Do you know, one of the biggest things from it, and we always talk about education, what's the pinnacle of education? Like going to university, do it, getting a degree, doing your master's. And, and <laughs> no, no, but like that is often viewed as like the pinnacle of like education and, and, and learning. But from my experience at university, and I can hand on heart and I'll say, well, how far am I removed from that? Nine years now, I, I left university. And... I don't remember, I remember very little from my dissertation and my degree and because I did politics at university. I remember very little. wonder if anyone could have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> I remember very, very, very little of the knowledge that I gained from that, the actual learning knowledge, the stuff that got fed into my brain like a robot. The stuff I learned most from being at university, ironically, is the stuff that we talk about, is independence, left home. I yeah. learned to be independent on my own two feet, social skills ripped away from everybody I'd known from school for 10 years plus and suddenly had to build new friendships, new connections with people. Had to then go into and, and do group work and complete group tasks yeah. and assignments and work with people from backgrounds that were jarringly nothing like what I've come from, from a rural village in England to them to work with somebody who was born in Tokyo. And so, do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's a melting pot suddenly of all these different backgrounds and ethnicities and, and it's, that's amazing. But you've then got to learn how to work with that and operate in with that and communicate with people with broken English or communicate with them with a completely different way of looking at something. And and then you've got to learn to, like I say, care for yourself and find another house by second year and balance out all these really like new and brand new things to you. That's the biggest learning step. And then you've got to go do job interviews. Again, you've got to meet a completely different demographic of new people and try and fit in and figure out what value you bring and sell yourself and and do all these other things and then you've got to then start earning money and stand on your own two feet and figure out how you're going to pay for rent and food. And that's that's the biggest learning curve in life. I don't remember anything from a dissertation of the so-called learning and knowledge. And yeah. when you think about it, it's actually crazy because even in that that point 
of time when they see it as the principal or the highest point of education, the main learning curves, again, are the same things we talked about in early years. Yeah, as you're right. And, and it all just it goes full circle, no. doesn't it? So, And it's different for different people because if you go to university and you learn and you become a doctor and you learn how to do heart surgery... Please don't forget that. You're going to remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is obviously, that's very specific and it is a niche thing to do. Yeah. But again, the massive principles of being a heart surgeon, it's not just knowledge that separates certain people from being able to do it. A heart surgeon has more of an ability than I do to be able to concentrate for, because it's a length, like they do lengthy procedures. Yeah. So they've got to concentrate for hours and hours and hours. I can do that. No, you couldn't do that. You have to have still of hand. And there's, there's more than just knowledge, I think, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And in the early years, that's when foundationally you start to put those principles in place and they are more important than English and, and, and learning how to write, sorry, and, and mathematical things that can come later on. Yeah, no, I agree. And me, I think know. that's what we could end this podcast on and the mm. question of, to everybody else, what does early years mean to you? What does, what does early years look like in your eyes? I think that's a really... Interesting question that we will get some. And do you know I'm more interested? I'm more interested in people who disagree with us because that's when you get real meaningful conversation. Fascinating yeah. to see of, of why we may not have explained ourselves very well in certain areas, so there may be a bit of confusion, maybe, and I might have to <laughs> backtrack a little bit and be like, actually, this is what we meant, or yeah. explain it a bit more. But I think ultimately, I think we've we've tried to in this podcast summarize our view on early years, probably different areas. Yeah. why they view early years in certain ways, the impact that has on the early years industry as a whole, and now branch out to it. It'd be interesting to see what other people and feedback they have on, they will. on early years. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Is that us done? Well, a bit of a different one this week, I think. It was. I think it was. A, yeah, and it's opening up that conversation, isn't it, a little bit more? I think it's a conversation that needs to be had in early years. I think mm. it was Jordan Tully had on the podcast last season, wasn't it? it who was. talked about the biggest thing he would change in early years is the way we, what we refer to it as yeah. and how we view it. And I think that is spot on. I think it is how we view it. We are a, yeah. we are an important educational wing. We are an important educational part of the puzzle, but not education in how we commonly see it. Like I just referred to universities. It's not about cramming information into their brains. It's about developing the foundations and developing their brains in a yeah. different sort of way. Yeah, Jordan had some really interesting points. So if you've not listened to Jordan's episode... He's doing his own podcast now as well, if you want to go check that out. Yes, yes. So have a listen. I'm sure he's... Fantastic to listen to is Jordan. So he's fascinating to and have a be, conversation And he'll with. be at the expo. He is going to be at the expo. I have to reach out. I have to have a coffee. <laughs> I think he's a busy man, but you can do He's that. always a busy man. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to just get everyone's opinion um, and see see where everyone's at. Yep. With and that. if you really disagree with us, we will be at the uh, earliest childcare oh, expo. Oh, please don't shout at you me. You can heckle at us. Oh, cry. <laughs> don't shout at me. No, thank you. Just avoid the fruit and the rotten vegetables if you're going to throw them. I've got all hair. I've only got two sets of clothes down on the, on the weekend. Um, but no, we are going to be there and it is interesting to have all those discussions. So Absolutely. definitely. Um, some new classes have gone live on the website. There'll be a lot going live next week. Oh, actually, when this comes out. When this comes week, out, yeah. yeah. So we've got staff inductions out at the moment and then come up, we've got co-regulation from yourself. And a fair few. And I'm going to get more. the document telling everyone either later on this afternoon it'll be on when this podcast comes live that monday it'll be out so Fabulous. you check out our instagram or maybe give it a few hours from six o'clock in the morning but some point on monday, monday. We'll, we will release what's coming out um in february yeah amazing so that's it from us happy monday have a fabulous week i always find it so strange it's happy monday because i'm like fully in weekend mode 
It's Friday. Friday. It's Friday for us filming, yes, but we're resisting. It's Monday, so have a fantastic week, and we will catch you in the next one. Ciao. Bye.